Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's episode, we're going to talk about games finally going up to $70 and more video games hitting the big screen. But first, let's talk about Amazon and Crucible. For those who don't remember, Crucible released, I think it was just uh, about a month ago or something like that. And um, Amazon last week decided to unrelease Crucible and move it from a free-to-play game back into a closed beta, which is something that I don't think any game has ever done before. I can't think of a game that has ever uh, gone through a beta period finally released and then uh, the developers decided to move it back into closed beta um what was everything like literally everything surrounded surrounding the release of this game was extremely weird i've i was saying it uh when the game i i think i brought it up in the podcast when when the game first released but it's very very hard to fathom it's very very hard to understand how the company that funded the creation of this game owns, uh, without argument, the most effective advertising platform for a video game, which is Twitch, uh, and still allowed this game to fail. Because that's how I look at it. I look at it as the game was allowed to fail. It's Is it the most original idea? No. If, if this game was released you know, four, maybe three, four years ago, I think it would have seen uh, a lot more immediate success. But I think we're at a time right now in video games where it's not enough to just be okay. It's not enough to just create a game within a specific genre and not work really, really hard on your art art style and your characters and really, really, you know, hunker down and figure out what makes your game so unique and different and then on top of that the game just launched with a bunch of issues even though it went through a beta it didn't really look like they applied or made many changes between uh when the beta closed and then when the game actually released there were a lot of issues like people waiting really really long uh to find a match what was interesting which was something i didn't know until i started doing research for the story but the game originally released may 20th and when it released, it didn't have voice chat, which is, I mean, I, 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 I kind of don't understand how you create a multiplayer game and then that's not kind of on the list of things like, hey guys, what do we need day one? Like voice chat, I, I don't even think there was any text chat at all. They actually just added voice chat into the game a few days ago on July 2nd was when they finally went ahead and added uh, voice chat. I'm not sure if that included text chat, but you know, just a little over a month since the game released uh, and they finally added voice chat. Uh, like I said, this is kind of... I, I've never seen this happen before. I've, you know, I've never seen a game release and then uh, get scaled back. And I think the interesting thing about this is that I... I just don't see what Amazon's game studio can do 
in order to drum up anticipation for this game. I mean, at the very least, even if they were to fix all of these issues, the main issue is the game itself. You know, it's kind of this third-person squad, MMO, you know, uh, MOBA, amalgamation kind of mashed together. The game doesn't really know what it wants to be. The characters are kind of interesting but i feel like they don't really pop out the screen you know graphically it looks okay it looks fine and and um the game looks like it runs okay but it's just i i feel like it it, it the game suffers from a uh, fundamental identity crisis where you can really tell just by looking at the game understanding the company behind it amazon and you can fundamentally sort of feel and understand that the game is, is is a profit grab. It kind of just seems like something where this company saw the 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 um, the success of Fortnite and other you know MMOs and persistent worlds and games as a service, and felt like, hey, you know what? This is something we have to make money on. And you can tell it's the game is sort of just a lot of kind of copy and paste from other games. And the game just just suffers from not having its own identity. And when you don't have that, no amount of money you pour into your advertising can you know make players stay. When you have a free to play game, you might get people to try it, but in order to get people to stay, that's the tough part. So even if Amazon were to go the route of Valorant, or even very recently last week, Ubisoft dropped Hyperscape, you know, and they you know Hyperscape was just like Valorant where they tied in. Um, early play keys with streamers and those streamers are obviously compensated to do that so even if crucible were to go that route when they re-release the game try to get streamers to play the game streamers will probably just play it you know collect their check and then and then leave that's just not the right way to keep a persistent audience and i think that's really what this game is suffering from i mean i don't know what the solution is once again i just i I don't feel like this is something where it's like, okay, just kind of give up. But I feel like this is kind of one of those games where it's like, it, it, it probably shouldn't even go back to beta. It probably should go back to the drawing board. And I think right there is going to be important for that team to really figure out, well, what, what's going to make our game unique? What's going to make it stand out? Why will people play Crucible versus all of these other free-to-play games? And that's really what we're experiencing right now for the first time, especially in PC gaming, are is this huge influx of you know pretty high quality free-to-play games you know fortnite kind of planted that seed and when you look at apex legends for example it's a heavily heavily polished game um that runs great looks great and it's completely free to play you never have to pay a penny um so when you when you're kind of going up against that and you know even like xbox game pass the value that they provide you really, really have to create something that's fundamentally unique that when you play that game, you say to yourself, uh, you know, I can't get this anywhere else. Moving on to our next story, we're going to talk about next generation game prices. Take-Two recently opened pre-orders for NBA 2K21 and revealed that the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X price will be $69. 99 now what's interesting is that the mamba that they, they have two editions coming out they have the regular nba 2k21 um which the current generation consoles which are classified as xbox one playstation 4 
I think the game is also coming to Switch and P. Uh, it's definitely coming to PC. I think it's also coming to Switch. They um, let me double check that. But the cover star on those is Damian Lillard, which I think was was a really really good choice. And um, then they have the next generation standard edition and the mamba forever edition so those two editions are on current consoles and then next generation and i thought it was really dope that on the the cover star um which we kind of already knew since that you know first trailer that they showed during the playstation event uh which was zion williamson uh that he is on the uh he's the cover athlete for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X versions. So I, I really love that because Zion Williamson really is the next generation of the NBA right now. So I thought that was really, really cool. He is, uh, I don't even think I have to research this. I'm pretty sure he is the only rookie to ever be on the NBA 2K cover. I don't think there's ever been any other rookie. This is, he's still, I mean, even with COVID, you know, this is still technically his rookie season. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's probably the youngest cover athlete they've ever had. But I think that's it's just dope. You know, it's like him being the next generation, being on the next gen cover. I thought that was really cool. Now, what's interesting is that the Mamba Forever edition is still $99.99, the same price as it is for the regular um the the current so yes, I guess coming to switch. Um the the current generation version of the Mamba Forever edition uh, which is uh, a, 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 the special edition of this year's game, uh, obviously dedicated in the memory of Kobe Bryant. Uh, it's the same price across generations. Both of them are ninety nine ninety nine. Uh, I mean, the funniest thing about the, this edition is that you're essentially paying an extra 40 or for next generation, you're paying an extra $30. And it's literally just uh, digital items. There's nothing physically added to to anything you know it's not like there's you know extra keychain or something like that none of that you know it's all just digital stuff it's virtual currency my team points and a bunch of stuff that look i haven't i literally haven't played 2k for the longest time so i've kept up with the digital strategy even some of these things go over my head there's something called gatorade boost I have no idea what the hell that is. Um, it looks like there's stuff uh, for customizing your player in there, some extra jerseys, some extra shoes, and things like that. But it's all digital items. Now, what's interesting about this is that, obviously, it, it seems like when the announcement was made, uh, I noticed that a couple of gamers or fans on social media were kind of disappointed in this. And I sort of look at this as... Uh, you know, this is long overdue. The first $60 game was actually in 2005. So it's over a decade ago was was the first time we saw a $60 game. If you adjust that for inflation, that same game today would cost $78.77. So we, we're, we're talking about an industry that's gone 15 years um, with keeping games at sort of like the same level price. And that's something that kind of didn't really exist before the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 where it seemed like unanimously every publisher and every retailer agreed to this price point, which was fifty nine ninety nine, to make everything easier. You know, back before that, when we're talking about you know the Nintendo sixty four game, uh, Nintendo sixty four days, for example, it was a little of a crapshoot in terms of how much you you were paying for your Nintendo sixty four game. Sometimes you you'd be expected to pay 
exactly what you're paying now, $69.99, sometimes even $80. And a lot of that vary by retailer, uh, by publisher. You know, there's a lot of these different factors. So it was great when we finally got to the 360 era where everyone just kind of agreed on this price point of $59.99. Everyone honored and respected it. Now, like I said, it's been 15 years since we've seen an, uh, an increase. And all we've, you know... The, it's it's not like the cost of creating a game has decreased, it's only increased. And, you know, our industry has found a lot of different ways to make sure that they, they generate the revenue that they need to, which is, you know, back in the day, it was about selling you a game once. Now that's not really the philosophy. Now the philosophy is the game is your ticket into my theme park. And my job is to get you to spend money on food, spend money on stuff to take home, you know, every way that I could charge you. Can I charge you a locker fee? Can I charge you, you know, all these different things. Um, that's really what games have turned into in order to um, try to level out and get ahead of those overhead costs um that it takes in order to manufacture one of these video games nowadays now a take two pr spokesperson told kotaku quote we believe our suggested retail price for nba 2k21 on next generation platforms fairly represents the value of what's being offered power speed and technology that is only possible on new hardware now the creation of a game like nba 2k21 or the nba 2k series in general I understand that people tend to look at it as just this annualized series. But when you talk about all the licensing deals that they have to, to put on, who knows how much of a cut has to go to the Players Association, the players themselves for their likenesses and everything like that in order to keep this license going. This is not a cheap game to, to manufacture. And probably the average budget right now for a AAA game, because this is considered and it should be considered a AAA game, is probably close to like $200 million dollars. Um, you know, we, we learned that the budget for Grand Theft Auto V when it was created years ago um, was around that amount, was around $200 million. So there's no way that we go from Grand Theft Auto being created for that cost years ago and we get to today and we don't expect a lot of these companies to have that type of production cost, which is upwards uh, of over $200 million per um, manufacturer of a game. And then you factor in the fact that this game is releasing on what, six different consoles or something like that. Um, there's no way that this is going to be the one and only <laughs> game that's going to be uh, $69.99. You know, I, I absolutely think that others will follow. Now, my theory when it comes to this is, my thought process is, well, what, what happens next? And I think the first thing that's going to happen is I think developers are going to use, you know, I, I'm curious if they're going to use this increase in physical pricing to drive more and more consumers towards the digital option. Um, I think we're going to see more and more companies be very aggressive with digital sales. I think we're going to see them be even more aggressive with, you know, what we've been seeing some companies doing the last few years, which is early access, which is if you buy a certain edition, you can play it, you know, three days early or something like that. And, and usually that applies to purchasing it digitally. I think we're going to see more companies go aggressive towards that. Um, I'm curious if any company will will almost impose a physical tax. So almost like, you know, physical will be $69.99, but they'll try to release the same game on digital at the regular $59.99 that people are used to just to see how people react to it. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think we're going to see more companies put their games on sale a lot more quicker than they used to um, uh, in order to keep converting physical over to digital. You know, we're, we're not ready. You know, this, this, this industry is still not ready to go completely fully digital. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, anytime that someone brings that up to me, I always say the same thing. Think about any other industry right now when it comes to entertainment. You know, films still have not gone fully digital. You can still buy Blu-rays. Music still hasn't gone fully digital. You can still buy CDs and even records. Um, you know, I, 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 I still don't think that, you know, speaking specifically about the United States, we're at that point where everyone has fair access to, you know, the internet, you know, I think the first step starts with the internet becoming officially a utility. Once something like that happens, then I think that conversation can begin to happen. But right now there's just so many people that do not have access um, to internet. So uh, until the United States of America and these individual states get together to start offering internet you know, at a subsidized price to lower income households, for example, is like an initial step and then start moving towards increasing speeds there's that, that conversation of only being digital just won't exist. I think until that point, more and more companies are going to try to convince you to get digital over the, the physical. Now it doesn't look like that's something that this game is doing. If you, if you go to look at their website and you, 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 know, you click on the physical next-gen version, and you click on the digital button. Uh, the digital button just says coming soon, but the price doesn't change. It still says $69.99. So it doesn't look like they're doing what I'm thinking about, which is I'm, I'm kind of curious if they'll try to you know give you a $10 discount if you buy the, the digital version. And I know it's something that will probably not make retailers very happy, but, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think... With this increase in production uh, costs, I think we're going to see a lot more games move towards the games as a service route. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more companies start looking at these revenue models that were created by you know, Ubisoft and Rainbow Six is a great example. Obviously, we have to bring up Epic Games and Fortnite. And I think we're going to see a lot more companies that are just going to be just more interested in selling you a game and trying their best to have you hold on to that disc as much as possible and be able to sell you more expansions and updates and things like that. Um, and even, even if they have to provide free updates and try to make up the money by selling you add-ons and things like that. Um, and I think that's what's most interesting about NBA 2K21 being kind of the first out the gate um, to kind of throw down the gauntlet and let people know, yes, we're finally going to increase um, this generation to $69.99. I think it's more most interesting to see NBA 2K take that first step because NBA 2K has turned into this, you know, just extremely aggressive, borderline gross um, DLC microtransaction casino. I mean, that's what we really see NBA 2K turn into. And the perfect example is what I was talking about with that Mamba Forever edition, which is, is it's literally you're paying an extra $40 for nothing but digital, digital items. And, but that's something that appeals to NBA 2K players because they've just become so accustomed to it. You know, 2K has groomed their audience into the importance of virtual currency, you know? And um, it's like they really 
took that cell phone model to heart and really brought it into their video games. If, if anyone remembers, you know, what NBA, the controversy, I think it was last year, I think it was, that 2K was facing when they had forced advertising, for example. So we're seeing a game that is increasing their cost, but it doesn't look like they're showing any intent to decrease you know, their amount of, you know, what they ask for in terms of microtransaction. And I think this is the scary part about the next generation in terms of that $69.99 pricing is what is, what should be the perceived value? What What is the expected value of a video game nowadays? And that's kind of a tough thing to, to nail down is we're, we're seeing games that, that exist on one end of a spectrum of being completely free to play and getting a really good quality experience with the, the example I always love to bring up is Apex Legends. And then you go from Apex Legends all the way to something like, you know, Overwatch, for example, right? Which Overwatch, when it first released, was uh, priced as a full price game, $49.99, $59.99, for example, Um you know, what's the expectation that we're looking towards for Overwatch 2? When Overwatch 2 comes out and it's $69.99, you know, what do I expect as a consumer? Am I am I really paying $69.99 for just a multiplayer game? Like, is that the way I should perceive the value of it? It's a great multiplayer game, so it's worth the $69.99. When I can look at Call of Duty Warzone, which is a really high-quality multiplayer game, and that game is free. So I think a lot of companies are now going to have to start, they're going to start struggling with, trying to convey value to the consumer and let consumers know yet for $69.99 you're gonna get a complete game i think that companies are now gonna struggle with really getting that point across nowadays and um it's gonna be interesting to see exactly how that they do that because like i said nba 2k is just the worst example of it because what nba 2k let's be honest for $69.99 you're not getting the full experience the game is gonna you know, they're not showing any signs that they're going to stop being overtly aggressive with their advertising and their microtransactions. I mean, what was it? NBA 2K20 had a literal casino in, in, in the game. So it's in, it'll be interesting to see the approach that 2K takes for NBA 2K21 because right now their advertising is just focusing on, oh, this is the next generation of basketball. This is the next generation of basketball. But... At the end of the day, they haven't shown signs. They haven't talked about, you know, hey, we, we, we've heard the feedback. We know that people are kind of upset that everything is a microtransaction in our game. Everything requires a grind, so we're going to scale that back. No, it doesn't really look like that's really what they're planning on on doing at all. And I'm curious if uh, the higher production costs also lead to less annualized games. I know I know I've been I've been saying this for for years that I still 100% believe that that Activision um I like to use them as that example because Activision releases a Call of Duty every single year and I just don't think that's a sustainable business model not nowadays. You know, in the in the last 5 to 7 years we've seen the biggest paradigm shift in our industry when it comes to a delivery model for video games. You know, we've seen the rise we're we're seeing now the rise of cloud gaming where finally for the first time seeing digital taking over physical across the board. I think um just early this year or last year, 
Uh, PlayStation finally saw more digital than physical sales. And obviously with everything happening with COVID-19, that's just becoming more and more aggressive. Now we're seeing digital overtake physical even more because I'm sure there's a lot of consumers that are buying digital now saying to themselves, you know, what? I love this convenience and who knows if they'll ever buy physical. We're, we're, we're seeing the death of pretty much the last remaining nationwide uh, dedicated video game retailer when it comes to GameStop. GameStop will, you know, for all intents and purposes, will not be around within the next three years. You know, I don't th- I don't think this holiday is going to save them, even without COVID-19, uh, even with the introduction of, of next generation, like, you know, when, when these next generation systems come out at the end of the year, GameStop is going to be forced to sell two versions because there's definitely going to be a digital version of the Xbox coming out and the PlayStation 5 digital edition that was already introduced. They're literally introducing a piece of hardware that they know that once they sell it, that residual income that they've learned, you know, that they have built their entire business under is now completely gone, right? So... You know, I just don't see them uh, being here um, within the next few years. So I do think that it's going to become unsustainable for Activision, for example, when it comes to something like Call of Duty. When you think about the fact that now when you launch a Call of Duty, uh, whatever the next Call of Duty is, which is rumored to be another Black Ops. Now you're talking about Call of Duty for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One. Xbox Series X, you know, I was about to say Switch, Uh, and then PC, you're looking at all these different SKUs that have to be created, Um, and then obviously when we talk about what's happening with next gen, those production costs are only going to balloon, so I know I've been saying this a lot, I still think it's a smart idea to create just a single Call of Duty multiplayer experience, and then putting out single player expansion packs, um, they are really for those players that really like the story, and then you price them appropriately. So instead of, you know, uh, sixty nine ninety nine, maybe you sell them for just you know thirty nine ninety nine, and it's a dedicated Call of Duty story experience, and then you just have this, you know, continuously evolving multiplayer structure for Call of Duty, um, where people can come in at various price points. Maybe you put something on a shelf for Call of Duty multiplayer, that's you know. Uh, 49.99 and, and includes a lot of stuff in it but maybe you have like a price tier for a digital where you can come into call of duty at the lowest price 29.99 and get some stuff or you come in at 49.99 and get a lot more digital stuff um that's really the way to to to, to stop these costs from ballooning and getting out of control because when you really stop and think about it activision runs multiple studios and all of those studios are literally just dedicated to creating a new call of duty and they have them on this this development cycle of i think it's like three to four years and their purpose is to make sure that they get a new call of duty each year if we look at production costs going up we're looking at you know, everything that's happening right now with COVID, um, you know, I think it would just be a lot smarter for Activision to combine those studios and uh, do something like that. So I I think we're going to see a lot less annualized games. Um, I think we're going to see a lot. I think this is kind of the the indie's time to shine. I look at it Um, now that we're moving a lot towards, towards digital. It looks like, you know, um, all three hardware manufacturers, Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony, are, are pushing ND harder uh, now than ever. Um, 
but yeah, th- th- this this price change is 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 important. It's imperative. I I I definitely don't sit here and say, oh, this is too much. You know, just because we haven't seen a price increase in video games for such a long time, my fundamental issue right now is exactly what I was saying a little earlier in the show is what's the value of a video game, you know? And I think for me, it's a little bit different than for others because right now, you know, I can't imagine paying $69.99 for a single player only game and getting it digitally. I, I just can't see that ever happening. You know, uh, no matter how good that game is, is, you know, perceived to be, uh, no matter how long it is in length, you know, last of us part two, it's a, it's a pretty long game to the point where I felt like it was, it was too long. It definitely got bloated at the end, but at the end of the day, it's like, if I buy that digitally, is it worth 69 99 for something I'm going to play maybe once and then not play again for a few years if I, re- if I really liked it. So for me, it's a little bit different because I always buy physical, always, all the time. I always buy physical. You know, The Last of Us Part Two, I bought physical. I finished it. I was satisfied. Bought it at $65. I'm, I, I sold it for $50. So I paid $15 for Last of Us Part Two. I liked it. So to me, this doesn't really matter to me because I'm going to continue this generation, what I did last generation, which was buying a game, finishing it, and then just kind of getting rid of it uh, because I play more single player than multiplayer anyway. But it'll be interesting to see um, how publishers tackle that question, which is, um, you know, really getting across to consumers, this game is worth $69.99. And, and can you really get across a single player only game at that price point? Can you get across a multiplayer only game at that price point? It's going to be very interesting to see um, how developers tackle that. And then obviously the increase of subscription services, we're probably going to see Microsoft get even more aggressive for our big story of the week. I wanted to talk about, uh, video games, uh, getting into Hollywood. So last week we learned that there were TV projects based on fallout and my friend Pedro are entering production. I thought it would be a good time to talk about video games, what I feel finally getting the respect they deserve in terms of storytelling and world crafting. And I think the most important thing to take away from these recent announcements is how much an investment production studios are putting behind these projects. Um, and let's start with fallout. So fallout was announced last week, but that's announced the partnership with Amazon studios to create a fallout TV show with Lisa joy and Jonathan Nolan at the helm, which is a really, really big deal. You know, Lisa Joy and John Nolan are responsible for Westworld, which is, you know, arguably one of the critic, one of the most critically acclaimed, commercially successful TV shows of the last few years. Um, so for them to, to tackle a video game is, is a really, really big deal. The fact that Amazon is picking it up for the Amazon Prime Video service, obviously putting a lot of money behind it. I thought was a really, really big, sort of just like a big win for our industry um, to have these creators of Westworld tackle the Fallout series. And I think Fallout is a perfect um, video game to be converted into a TV show because I think the most important thing for these games being turned to TV shows to be successful is to have a very, very interesting world and concept that's that we can grasp and understand as 
gamers and understand that we're given the proper playground for the type of game uh, that we're putting forth. But at the end of the day, have a world that is, you know, can is easily digestible by you know uh, viewers nowadays in the in the in, in the current climate created by different by other types of TV shows. And I think Fallout is one of those ga- one of those properties that should be really easy to digest. But because it's so open, um, you know the the um, directors Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan have a lot of different games to pull from. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting uh, to see what. Uh, what they do with it, because I really feel like they're not, which I think they should, uh, they're not going for like this fan service kind of show. I don't think they're really going to be pulling a lot of characters that you've seen in the game will probably be few and far between. I think they're really going to, they're really more interested in the world than anything. So, and I think that's, that serves as a good basis for, for a great attempt at making this work. Then we heard about my friend Pedro is getting a TV ad- adaptation that's planned to be a half-hour R-rated dramedy led by John Wick writer and producer Derek Colsted. David Leach is also attached. He directed Deadpool 2, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. So this is a great example of a very extremely simple premise <laughs> because that's what my friend Pedro is, a side-scrolling uh, you know, shoot him up. That's really about a guy waking up and and taking directions from a from a banana. So, you know, when you take something like that and you give it to uh, the writer of John Wick and the director of Deadpool Two, David Leach, uh, who, if you've never seen Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, has some of the best action sequences of the, of the last uh, few years. So you put those two together, um, it's just kind of a a, a perfect combination to to really get through an idea like this. But at the end of the day, I think they're just more interested in just the premise. I think that can really come across on a TV show of, you know, a guy talking to a banana. I think it'd be really, really funny. Um, Now, video games have not had the best history (laughs) when it comes to adaptations. You know, when we talk about film, I actually started looking through um, films based on video games. There's actually been less than 40 theatrical releases for films based on video games actually lower than i thought you know in my mind i felt like there were more but it shows just how little when it comes to video games being adapted to films and when you compare it to something like books for example it feels like every single month there are a a, a few films being put out there based on books and i think now you know, when you look at the um, the recent success of a lot of these films, I think now studios are beginning to understand. And obviously, video game being the biggest entertainment industry across the world, I think now we're seeing these film studios finally begin to understand um, that, hey, you know, uh, people that create video games, we have stories to tell. You know, we, we, we have great writing in our video games. And I think it really doesn't translate well. Uh, because the people who work on film don't really play video games and they don't understand what makes our medium so unique. And obviously it's a lot, what makes our medium unique is that there's a narrative that's put forth, but we're, as gamers, we are able to control the pace of the story. We are able to live vicariously a lot closer to those stories than through any other medium because we're controlling it. So 
but at the end of the day, money talks. So when companies see the massive successes that we've seen recently, especially with Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog, I think we're seeing more and more companies go, we have to start paying attention now. Um, so I, I, I thought we would go through a little bit of the film and TV history of video games. Now, we're not going to talk about the worst of the worst. I'm not even going to talk about that. Anything that Uva Bowl touched. Uva Bowl, for those that don't know, was the director that decided to just, you know, uh, get the licenses for multiple games. He is he is single-handedly the director that has created the most um, adaptations, film adaptations from video games. But at the same time, the guy was just absolutely awful. Um, Alone in the Dark, House of the Dead, and The Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, Blood Rain 1 and 2, Far Cry, which I completely forgot that there was a Far Cry um, film. And then uh, Postal, which is which uh, made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the box office, and was his highest rated film with a nine percent Rotten Tomatoes score. That's right, it was his highest rated with a nine percent. So we're just gonna skip through all that garbage, and we're gonna we're gonna just talk about um, other video games. Now, I, I was curious as to what was the first video game film that was adapted from a video game property, and I thought I knew what it was, and I couldn't believe I was right when I did the research, but the first one, actually, was released 27 years ago in 1993, and that was actually Super Mario Brothers. I, 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 I felt that it was. I was thinking to myself, it has to be Super Mario Brothers, and I was actually a little surprised that it was. So Super Mario Brothers was the first film released that was based on a video game property. Obviously, we now know that it was an absolute commercial failure, uh critically i thought it was an absolute success i don't care what the critics say i still think it's one of the funniest campiest corniest cheesiest movies you could ever watch um but when you look at that film you think about well why did it fail it failed for a fundamental reason which is the people that created it didn't really want to create it <laughs> it seemed like it seemed like everyone was dragged into it you know from the actors to the writers to the directors the set design the character design it felt like everyone was dragged into making this and obviously there was no translation that would have worked for something like this, which is why the next Mario film is going to be animated as it as it should be. There should never be a live action Super Mario Brothers film ever again. Um, and then that was promptly followed by a, a, a few films. Nineteen ninety four, we had Double Dragon, which I remember seeing. Uh, not good, but not awful. You know, for for a nineteen ninety four film, it, I, I think it felt very well. The first actual box office success was Street Fighter, $99 million worldwide on a $35 million budget. Look, I don't care what anyone says. Street Fighter is one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> Raul Julia's performance as M. Bison, he should have won an Oscar. I don't care what anyone says about Street Fighter. It's, it, it's campy. It's, it's, it's like a cult classic. Just a cross film. Like, forget about if you're a video game fan. Look, I loved it, man. Look. It had Guile, you know, E Honda, Chun Li, you know, we, you know, Dalzim shows up at the end, you know, DJ. Like, there's so many characters that that you can recognize. It was cheesy. I loved it. 1995 saw um, the biggest success success up to that point, uh, which was Mortal Kombat, 122 million dollars worldwide. And what made Mortal Kombat successful was the fact that they really, really stuck to the script. And when you start looking through a lot of these films, you realize that the most successful ones were really the ones that stuck to the script 
and allowed the people to create the video game to come into the process. That was the failure that was Super Mario Brothers, for example. It was very hands-off from Nintendo. And Nintendo learned their mistake, which is why Nintendo's so heavy-handed. 97 saw Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which did not do as good critically. That was awful. 99 saw Wing Commander. 2001 saw the first massive box office success, bringing in over $274 million on a $150 million budget. And that was Tomb Raider. The 2013 sequel also did well. This was the first film that I felt made Hollywood go, oh, wait a minute. You know, there's something here because it was a worldwide box office success. In 2002, saw the release of Resident Evil. All six of those films have actually been successes. The film franchise actually holds the record. It's the most successful video game film franchise. All six films have collectively grossed over $1 billion. Um, and this has been another example of, of, of showcasing the successes. But critically, it hasn't really been very successful. I think the movies are awful. I've only seen the first and the second one. And then after that, I was like, you're not going to trick me again. I'm not seeing any of these damn films again. I, I thought they were just absolutely awful. Um, then let's just fire a few of these off. 2005 saw Doom. Wasn't that good. 2006 saw Silent Hill. I thought it was okay. DOA, Dead or Alive, for those that remember. Super cheesy, you know, but I loved it because it it, it, it went really close to, to the video game. And that's what made it super cheesy. Uh, and and it, it, it knew what it was, which is what I like. I respected that. I knew what it was. It knew what it wanted to be. And I respect that. 2007 saw the release of the original Hitman. Did not do very good. 2008 saw Max Payne, which was awful. Uh, my favorite part was what when they cast Ludacris as Deputy Chief Jim Bravura, uh, who, for those that don't know uh, from the game, was a really old white guy. I thought that was hilarious. 2009, this is a film that maybe a, a lot of you forgot about, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, critical commercial failure. 2010 was a film that I remember seeing, but I don't remember much about because it was awful, which was Tekken. That was also the year that we saw Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, which was one of the highest grossing video game films of all time. Actually, $200 million budget brought in $336 million worldwide. 2012 saw the release of Silent Hill Revelation. I never saw it. Critically, did not do very well, neither commercially. 2014 saw Need for Speed, which actually wasn't an awful film. Um, it just, I mean, what does it have to do with Need for Speed other than the name? It kind of just didn't. 2015 saw saw Hitman Agent 47, another crack at it. And in 2016, <clears throat> we actually saw the highest grossing video game film of all time, which was Warcraft. What was funny about Warcraft is that it had an absolutely awful domestic opening, $24 million, but it had a $160 million budget and it made $439 million worldwide. So it still holds the record as the highest grossing video game film of all time. Uh, Assassin's Creed also came out that year. Critical failure, commercial success. Uh, 2018 saw Rampage. That was the third highest grossing video game film. Uh, brought in $428 million. 2019, for those, I didn't know this, Dead Trigger. It's the first live action film based on a cell phone game. I didn't even know this existed. It starred Dolph Lundgren. It was, it was you know, straight to digital Obviously, did not do very well. Uh, 2019 also saw the release of Detective Pikachu that uh, holds the record for the highest rated live action video game film with 68%. Interesting fact, the highest rated animated film based on a video game is the Angry Birds Movie 2 with a 73% Rotten Tomato score. Um, it is the second highest grossing video game 
film, 433 million worldwide. And in 2020, we saw the release of Sonic the Hedgehog, which was a massive success, $85 million budget, $306 million worldwide. Now, what, 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 what's coming up? So we have Monster Hunter releases September 4th, 2020, which is the same team behind the Resident Evil series. So obviously, Capcom is hoping for another success. Um, I actually didn't know this. T.I. is in this in the, is in this film. I had no idea. You know, I knew Tony Jaa was in it. Mila ja- uh, Jakovic or Javovic um, is in it. Once again, her husband is, is directing, who also directed the Resident Evil series. Um, didn't know T.I. was in this. Very, very interesting. We haven't seen a trailer, just, just images and set photos, so... Um, hopefully we get a, a, a trailer soon because uh, this game, sh- this, excuse me, this film should be uh, absolutely wrapping up their post-production. Um, Mortal Kombat. So Mortal Kombat, we have that new Mortal Kombat coming out next year, which is, is really highly anticipated. We have a sequel to the 2018 version of Tomb Raider. Uh, Uncharted, which has been through development hell. Minecraft, which is another film that has been through a little bit of production hell. Borderlands, which we recently uh, uh, found out Kate Blanchett is set to star. Crossfire, which is that Korean shooter. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's is getting a film. The Gears of War movie that we've been talking about for a decade is still in production. A Just Cause film. A Just Dance film is on its way. And there was actually a bidding war for the Just Dance film, so... Uh, take with that what you will a live action Mega Man uh, film the Metal Gear Solid film is still in production uh, Detective Pikachu sequel and a Sonic the Hedgehog sequel with greenlit a Space Invaders film uh, that sounds awful a franchise reboot of Resident Evil a Saints Row film is in production a this I c- kind of forgot about this a Sleeping Dogs film starring Donnie Yen Sleeping Dogs is still one of the most fundamental games like I say it's absolutely worth the purchase I think you can get it for like five bucks now please get Sleeping Dogs if you've never played it and a film adaptation of a 2017 stealth game called Echo which I've I've never actually uh, seen. Now, what's around the bend? We have the direct the, the the division film for Netflix was directed by David Leach, starring Jessica Chastain and Jake Gyllenhaal. Who knows what happened with that? Especially now with COVID nineteen, I think that, I don't think that the the film has even started actually physically filming. So who knows when that's going to come out? We also learned of a Disco Elysium TV series, which is a, an amazing property uh, to move over. But upcoming, we have arguably the the in my opinion, when it comes to TV, we have the three most important video game adaptations coming up, which is Halo, The Last of Us, and the recently uh, released Fallout. I feel like these are extremely important for the future of video games coming to TV because I think television is the perfect v- medium for video games um, and really putting out those stories. So we have the Halo TV show that's starring Pablo Schreiber as Master Chief that's set to release in early 2021 on Showtime. But, but this show has been in production hell. It was actually first announced in 2013, so it's really hard to tell exactly um, how that's going to turn out. We talked about Fallout, but the Last of Us series, to me, has the greatest chance to completely change the way video games are looked at in terms of their adaptation uh, quality. So we have this perfect partnership. We have HBO, which is a perfect vehicle um, to really, you know, showcase the mature themes that we've seen, um, we've experienced in The Last of Us. They brought in Craig Mazin, who was the writer of Chernobyl, uh, 
um, who, for those that have never seen it, Chernobyl, and def- it's not even an opinion. I feel like it's a fact. It's one of the greatest TV shows to release in the last few years. Five episodes on HBO. Just masterful. I mean, it, it, it's just a masterful show, and a lot of it was because of the writing. And that's what's got me excited for The Last of Us. Is you have this writer who has an absolutely successful show in Chernobyl, has proven that um, he can write, uh, you know, there's really this drama and like this. Obviously, it was based on real life, but it's a very dreary, um, you know, not very hope filled, you know, sort of world. Um, and on top of that, he's a huge fan of the series and it looks like he was a big driver in getting this deal done. So you bring him in, writing and executive producing alongside game director Neil Druckmann. Um, and then they're bringing in the original composer of the game, Gustavo Santa, o- Santa Olaja. Um, you literally are, are talking about everything being done right. Um, which is not just giving the rights away to HBO, but having the original director, Neil Druckmann, I think other people from Naughty Dog are also involved, bringing in the game's composer. Um, you know, Troy Baker recently said that his dream casting for Joel would be uh, Josh Brolin, which I thought would actually be an, an amazing choice. But to me, I'm following this closely because this is... I think this is going to be the shiny example for um, kind of to prove to the world that video games have amazing stories to tell. And um, The Last of Us being cinematically, you know, in terms of you know, the basis of a story, its environment, um, and, its, and the composition of the narration, you know, the writing, it's one of the most successful story-based games you know released in the history of video games whether you like part one and part two i'm not here to argue that i'm here to say that it still is sort of untouchable when it comes to uh to writing when it comes to set pieces when it comes to acting it's untouched so you 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 take that basis and you bring it over onto the TV screen and this is sort of like a, a a series based upon what we're seeing everything that's coming together bringing HBO Mason and Druckmann together um you would have to try very hard for this to fail more than try for it to 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 succeed i look at this and i'm thinking like this is this is going to be one of HBO's biggest shows I think HBO is setting it up to be one of its biggest shows, especially after the success of Chernobyl. Um, And I think this is going to be the first critically acclaimed video game property. This is going to be the first one that we're going to see make, you know, the award season. Like I really 100% I'm calling it right now. Um, This game, this, this is being set up for absolute success and I think when the Last of Us TV show airs and it drops and people experience it, I think that we're finally going to cross over um, in terms of, hello, hello, Hollywood. My name is Video Games, and it's time for you to take me seriously. Um, so I'm very, very much looking forward to this. Other future series that are being planned, Brothers in Arms, Child of Life, Skull and Bones, Twisted Metal is actually an early production, and a Hitman TV series. So obviously, you know, the, the, the companies we're seeing putting the most into this in terms of publishers, or we're seeing Capcom, Ubisoft, 
and uh, and Sony. For those that don't know, Sony own, owns the studio that creates the Resident Evil movie series. So, um, and there and Sony Pictures is the one that's behind uh, uh, the the upcoming Resident Evil reboot. Um, PlayStation Studios is behind the Uncharted film. I'm not sure exactly how directly the PlayStation Studios is involved with this Last of Us TV series, which actually did start off as a film. Um, but absolutely, the right direction is to turn this into a TV show. A Last of Us film, in my opinion, would be an absolute disaster. You know, we're talking about remembering that we're, we're taking down a 30 to 40 hour game and trying to shrink it down to an hour and a half, two hours. Um, it just would never work. So I'm very, very happy that they converted it over to a TV series. I think an Uncharted film would work, though. Um, but I think we're finally getting to the point, like, I'm a little bit afraid because I look at what Ubisoft is doing. You know, we, who knows what the hell happened to the Splinter Cell um, movie. But I think Ubisoft is getting a little bit too aggressive. And we saw what happened in the past with Assassin's Creed and Prince of Persia. Uh, which is funny that Jake Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal starred in, in Prince of Persia and now he's starring in the Vision film, which is obviously also from Ubisoft. I think Ubisoft is going a little bit too aggressive. Ubisoft did talk about that they're taking more control over the creative process of their film. But when you look at all these announcements that they have for their properties, I think it would be really interesting to see exactly um, uh, how much they can do. Ubisoft sort of looks like just give me the money sort of uh, thing. So I hope that they're not going towards that. But I think that right now we're we're finally getting to this point where we're I, I think we're we're starting to go into the a little bit of the bad worrisome territory in my opinion, especially when it comes to film, where we're seeing I think we're seeing a lot of studios is going for that cash grab, and um, it's 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 a little worrisome. Like when I think about like the Borderlands film, you know how successful would it just cost film be? Gears of War going through its production hell um i think we need more hollywood studios to respect these stories bring in a lot of those directors and writers that crafted those stories for video games and and be able to really properly break down how to properly translate these properties because books have had that respect for such a long time now um, in order in, 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 you know, talking about converting a book over to a film. Um, I think they've, they've been given that absolute respect. And I think video games have never had that respect from the rest of the entertainment world. I think that TV film viewers still look down upon video games that we've slowly been able to, I don't think gain that respect, but I think it's more about we as gamers are letting the world know that, you know, our industry has something to say too. We have amazing, you know, uh, the most amazing uh, writers in our industry too. You know, we have the most amazing directors when it comes to voice acting. Um, we are, you know, untouchable when it comes to world creation. And, you know, we have something to say. And I just hope that Hollywood... Uh, I think it's two-sided. I think publishers need to make sure that in those contracts, they have some sort of creative control. And I think it has to be like this 50-50 partnership where Hollywood comes in and these film studios understand that, hey, no one knows these series better than the people that created them. So um, I think we're finally getting to that point 
where Hollywood is starting to meet us in the middle and understand because, you know, money talks, right? And I think they're beginning to understand, like, wait a minute, this this industry is making way too much money for us to ignore. And But I, I still don't think we're at the point where video games are going to be are, are, are being treated with the same respect as book adaptations. And I think it's going to take a absolute critical darling uh, to take us over that hill. And that's why I think it's it's the last of us you know like that that's gonna finally get us over that hump um in terms of people beginning to understand and respect uh our industry and 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 video games as uh an absolute medium and driving force in storytelling hot releases for the week we have july 7th we have catherine full body coming to switch super liminal ps4 switch and xbox one july 9th we have a wii game shakedown hawaii coming out to wii um i think they're only making like three thousand copies so if you really want it make sure you're looking out for it uh same day we have cross code coming to ps4 switch xbox one it will also be on xbox game pass july 10th we have F1 2020 coming to PC, PS4, Stadia, and Xbox One. NASCAR Heat 5, PC, PS4, Xbox One. Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in the Skies coming to Switch. Sword Art Online, Elicitation Lacorus, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Now time to wrap it up. The stories we didn't have time to get to. Nintendo has finally publicly addressed the Joy-Con defect for the first time. As Nintendo President Shuntaro Furukawa said, quote, Regarding the Joy-Con, we apologize for any trouble caused to our customers. We are continuing to aim to improve our products, but as the Joy-Con is the subject of a class action lawsuit in the United States, and this is a still a pending issue, we would like to refrain from responding about any specific actions. Now, I found this very, very weird um, because I sort of look at this as something where as soon as he said this and that meeting was over, his lawyers just went up to the president of Nintendo and was like, yeah, so why'd you say that? <laughs> because, I, you know... Um, there's, there's a class action lawsuit. Um, and I feel like this is the first one that Nintendo is going to absolutely 100% lose. Um, because it's very obvious that this is a, a huge defect. I've had two of them fail on me uh, and I barely use my switch. So I think this is one that, you know, I don't like people to lose, but I feel like, yeah, N- Nintendo, you got to lose, you know, Microsoft, when it came to the red ring, they had to, to, to swallow you know, that, that giant loss and realize they effed up and, you know, Nintendo's going to have to do the same. Microsoft announced a summer game fest demo event coming to Xbox one from Tuesday, July 21st through July 27th. The online showcase will include at least 60 brand new game demos. I like this, but I'm also worried about it. And the reason why I'm worried about it is because the majority of consumers that play game demos do not understand what early access is. They don't understand, that games are not finalized when you play them. And what we're hearing is a lot of these games are going to be shown and playable in an early state. So I'm a little bit worried about that because this this is why media only has access to early access demos because they're able to disseminate that information and understand when you see a frame rate drop, when you see some pop in, when you see that the graphics aren't there yet, you understand that your job is just to get a feeling for the core gameplay so i'm i'm excited but i'm also worried microsoft recently leaked the trailer for crisis remaster and the reaction was so bad crytek delayed the game look i do not understand why crytek is even remastering crisis makes no sense to me you're either going to break it down and rebuild it the same way that 2k is doing with the first mafia or you're just putting out a sequel to crisis 
I, I don't understand why you were remastering this game. There's a reason we haven't talked about Crisis because that that game was big when it came out, but right now when you look at it, it looks like it was stuck in time because we've leapfrogged it uh, a very, very long time ago. I just don't think there's anything that you can do to this game that's going to make it a critical success. Uh, excuse me, commercial success. In an interview with Collider, Breaking Bad star Giancarlo Esposito said that he's been working on a secret video game that uses some special technology that required, quote, a new style of acting. He mentions a huge game but can't say the name. Now, my first guess was Far Cry. Immediately, just because Esposito is really good at playing villains, uh, we all know him as as uh, uh, Gus Fring from Better Call from uh, Breaking Bad, um, and then Game Reactor UK seemingly confirmed it by saying it was indeed Far Cry Six, and then they deleted. Uh, that post that they made so maybe they were contacted by ubisoft um and what i found interesting also is that the most famous far cry villain was far cry 3 villain Voss, who was played by Man michael mando who is also john carlo's co-star in better call saw he plays nacho um alongside john carlo's gus fring so i found that to be an interesting uh connection i could definitely see john carlo going up to him and talking to him about it and michael mando saying yes you absolutely should do it because michael mando still talks about Voss as being one of his um, favorite acting roles amongst everything he's done for TV. Uh, last but not least, Horizon Zero Dawn will launch on both the Epic Game Store and Steam on August 7th, along with PC-exclusive features such as an unlockable frame rate and super-wide resolutions. Look, get ready. If you're a PlayStation fanboy and you were, get, you were mad when you heard about Horizon coming to PC, right now Horizon Zero Dawn is the, is the, is the top-selling game on Steam. It probably is the same for Epic Game Store. I don't think we have access to that data publicly as we do on Steam. Um, this is going to continue. God of War is coming to PC next year. It, it's it's, in, in, it's inevitable. And I think Sony is finally understanding what Microsoft found out like five years back, which is you cannot ignore PC. You just can't. So every future PlayStation game, I guarantee you right now, is being is being considered for PC. It's definitely not going to be day and date the way that Microsoft is doing. I don't think Sony is ready for that yet. Um, but definitely horizon zero dawn 2 will come out to pc six months to a year after it comes out for playstation 5 it's inevitable um and that's it for our show i i wanted to quickly give a shout out to you know everyone that has spoken out for the last few weeks obviously our industry has been going through a very monumental momentous shift right now when it comes to the absolute insurmountable you know, uh, allegations that have been coming out the last few weeks uh, within our industry um, that everything ranges from harassment to uh, abuse to, to, to uh, even physical assault and rape. You know, um, sharing these stories cannot be easy. Um, it, it, a lot of people always say, well, why didn't you say something when it happened? And, um, you know, there, there are things in life that you, you just won't understand until it happened to you. That, that's really what it's all about. And I think if you're a person out there that's questioning, well, why is it that you didn't bring this up when it actually happened? Um, the best advice I can give to a lot of people right now during what's been happening the last few weeks, honestly, the most the best advice is to just shut up and listen. That's really the best advice I can give. If you don't understand, if you're if you're greeting these stories with aggression, if you're greeting these stories with uh, defense, you know, defending the abuser. I think the best advice I can give you is just shut up. 
Just literally just shut up and listen. If you don't understand it, then it's your responsibility as a person who loves this industry to just shut up. And uh, within the last week, we've seen a lot of allegations uh, rocking the fighting game community. You know, uh, very serious allegations against CEO Joey Kular, who's the co-founder of Evo. Evo removed him, uh, replaced him with a new CEO, uh, who who is uh, Tony Cannon, who's who is the other Evo co-founder. Um, Evo Online was canceled, which I think was the right thing. And then we saw the Smash Brothers community uh, was rocked by, I mean, it had to be like 50 allegations uh, ranging from, you know, rape, harassment, claims of grooming and pedophilia, uh, you know, against some of the biggest names. And Nintendo uh, did something that they rarely do. Uh, they addressed it. Nintendo said, at Nintendo, we are deeply disturbed by the allegations raised against certain members at the competitive of the competitive gaming community. They are absolutely impermissible. We want to make it clear that we condemn all acts of violence, harassment, and exploitation against anyone, and that we stand with the victims. You know, something is really big when Nintendo addresses it, and especially when Nintendo addresses it immediately it was within 24 hours uh actually i think it was probably 48 maybe within 48 to 72 hours uh with the first major allegation being brought against uh senpai um she was accused of being 24 and having a sexual relationship with a 14 year old um then we heard about nairo having a relationship with a minor and you know uh, you know, something really big happened and Nintendo had to respond. And Nintendo put out this response. They started scrubbing their YouTube of any mention of uh, Zero, of Nairo, I think even of D1, uh, who was a commentator that was accused of different things. And um, I wanted to just quickly put a couple things out there. So number one is if you don't, um, maybe understand the reaction that you are supposed to have to something like this. Um, if you find yourself defending uh, any of these abusers, uh, if you find yourself, uh, you know, your first reaction is to just completely not believe um, the accuser. If you, um, if your first reaction is, oh, this person, she's just doing this for clout or whatever it may be. Uh, first thing I want to say is number one, just shut up, just, just stop talking and start listening. Cause that's, that's the most important thing during a time like this. Um, second thing I want to say is understand that everything that happening right now is great is for the better. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say, asking the question of where's, you know, where's the old FGC, you know, where's the old smash community before any of this happened. And, you know, New Slash, this is the old FGC, you know. Um, what we're seeing is obviously um, people have been holding on these, to these stories for for quite some time. Right now, what's happening is we're now transitioning into hopefully the new FGC. You know, this what you're living in right now is the old FGC. This is the current fighting game community. Um, and there's obviously a lot of work to be done because for every story you hear, there's probably dozens. I should not even probably. There are dozens that you haven't heard about. Um, but what's happening right now will lead to, to stronger precautions for tournaments. It will prevent future incidents. 
And, um, you know, mark my words right now, if there's a tournament organizer out there right now that's thinking about adding Smash Ultimate uh, to the tournament lineup, I'm telling you right now, you better make sure that you have your ducks in a row. Uh, because I guarantee you right now, Nintendo is starting to, you know, rethink everything when it comes to Smash Ultimate. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that when you run a tournament, when you make a YouTube video, when you when you stream a video game, you're violating the terms of use of that game. The reason why Nintendo doesn't contact Defend North, contact Apex, contact CEO, and tell them, you can't use our game is because that's free advertising at the end of the day. There's a reason why, you know, uh, games are allowed to be streamed because publishers understand that that you streaming that game is free advertising for me. But at any point they can send a cease and desist and you will basically be forced to stop what you're doing. I guarantee you Nintendo is going to start looking at competitions a lot closer. They're going to start looking at tournament organizers a lot closer. And Nintendo's probably going to start requesting on paper your rules, your regulations, and I need to know what your safety procedures are go going to be for this tournament you're planning to run and put my game into. This, what's happening right now, is the absolute nightmare scenario for Nintendo. Because the most serious allegations coming out against the smash community are criminal. Like these are crimes. You know, what we're, what we're hearing about um, what happened with some of the biggest names, be it zero Nairo, Keitaru, uh, ally. Um, these allegations are criminal. When you enter into a relationship with someone that's under the age of consent, well, you know, especially what we heard about in Simpai's um, situation, that is a crime. And this is something that could turn into a public relations nightmare for Nintendo. The biggest publication that has picked this up that I've been able to find out about was ESPN. Imagine if the New York Times decides to run a story that says a pedophilia pedophilia was allowed to fester in a community surrounded by super smash Bros. ultimate a game created by nintendo the most one of the most family friendly family forward-facing companies in the world this is an absolute nightmare for nintendo which is why they were so quick to make that statement and if you're a tournament organizer and you think that Nothing is going to change. Think again. Because I'm telling you right now, Nintendo, if they're not satisfied with procedures you put in place, they're 100% going to start off with, you are not allowed to use our game. And if you think you're going to go ahead and use the game, trust me. That uh, is something I tweeted, which was that that request can become a demand very, very quickly. And they, they will not, um, be bothered by having having their lawyers make a few phone calls, you know. So, at the end of the day, everything that's happening is for the better. But right now is a critical moment for the fighting game community because this the shift has to happen at a organization level, removing all of these individual 
individuals from the community is not enough. There has to be a fundamental uh, change in the culture, especially within the Smash Brothers community, um, in order to get better. It will get better, but tournament organizers need to understand that what they do next is going to matter. Because if this happens again in the future, the, the, the very future of tournaments is at jeopardy. The very future of fan-run tournaments, community-run tournaments, is at great risk. Because once again, you are allowed to do this because the publishers allow you to do it. Because you pay $60 for the game does not give you the right. Because I paid $20 for that Spider-Man Blu-ray doesn't mean that I could set up a projector on the outside of my building and run the, run the film 24-7 for anyone to watch it. At some point, I'm going to get hit with a cease and desist. Okay? Right now, that's all I want to say about this. Um, shout out to everyone that said something because it takes an immense amount of bravery to come forward with these allegations. If you still don't understand what's going on, shut up. That's, that's my best advice. Just, just stop talking and start listening. It's very, very important for you to do that. Understand that you are responsible for your circle. A lot of people think that, um, you know, when, when they say, you know, when, when they say you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with, that's absolutely true. When you're with when you're in a circle, that doesn't mean that you're in the middle and the circle surrounds you. You are in the circle itself. It's your responsibility to look out for your friends and call them out when they're doing something that they absolutely should not be doing. Going forward, everything that happening that's happening is great. From what I'm hearing, we haven't heard everything. Apparently, there's some more allegations that are going to start coming out this week. Um. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what else I can say about this. All I know is that everything that's happening is absolutely going to be for the better. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel. This is episode 49, so I will see you all next week for a a big milestone for me to to be honest which is episode 50 i will see you guys next week hopefully you will join me thank you so much for listening